title of the message is Hosting Jesus. Hosting Jesus. How many of you like to host? I mean, that's really kind of your thing. You really, you know, you really enjoy having people at your home and and you like it when people come over and uh, it's not annoying to you. Your house is always clean and you always have something refreshing and yummy to eat. And I'm, I'm coming over, Bill. After I get done here, I'm looking for people I can come over, right? That's what they used to do in the old days. You're the pastor, would you show up and go, hey, I'd be pleased to have dinner at your house. I mean, that's so crazy, right? Um, I've never done that, actually. But, um, but you know, hosting is such a, a, a special thing. At our Here, one of our three teams on Sunday morning is our host team. And their goal is to make you feel like this is a place that you're wanted, that it's a warm and friendly place. Jimmy Land does a great job leading that team as we have you know, people who are coming to get coffee and, and, and a greeting and, hey, where do I go? How do I know what's next? And all that sort of thing. So hosting our church is really important. But hosting in your home is, it's even more intimate, isn't it? I think especially in our culture in these days. You know, it used to be that you would just go knock on doors and people wouldn't shoot you. You know, you remember those days? Uh, they wouldn't get mad at you. They wouldn't think you were weird. They would just be like, oh, hey. People would sit on the front porch. I mean, that's how, but hosting has become really more of an intimate thing. Who qualifies to host in your home? Or maybe a better question is, whose home do you feel comfortable staying in when you're traveling? I mean, that's big, right? Because when you're traveling, you're like, I got to stay with these people. You know, they find, they find out you were in town and you didn't stay with them. You get in trouble, you know, and you're thinking, is it worth it? You go, yeah, that house smells weird. I don't, I don't want to, I don't really want to stay with those people. And they get up way too early, you know, and you're like, man, I would just like to rest here. Leave me alone. I tell you, with people that I feel comfortable with, it's like my siblings, I would stay in their house anytime. I wouldn't stay in my house anytime. And, you know, one of the reasons is they have space. And because uh, we're empty nesters. We have space as well. We kicked all of our kids out and made a move over 1,500 miles away. So we're glad when people come. Um, but it's, it's a, there's a closeness there, isn't there? And uh, last week, our friends Bob and Linda Schindler were in town, and they travel a lot, and um, we hosted them in our home. And uh, that's a rarity for non-family, but they, we've known them for 20 years. We've traveled to Africa with them. Um, but the, one of the reasons that they always stay with us when they come to town is because there's a, there's a mutual sense of blessing. There's a mutual sense of it's good to be with them. And I think they feel the same way or they, they wouldn't stay with us probably. But they come, every time they come to town, which is one or two times a year, they'll stay a night or two with us. And it's important that we recognize that, that we make room for people who we feel blessed by and who we want to bless. Well, today we're going to talk about hosting Jesus, which is shocking because we're in Genesis chapter 18, and I'll explain as we go. But we're going to see an event where Abraham hosts the Lord. He hosts the Lord, and it has great significance, not just for Abraham, but for his wife, Sarah. So look with me. We're going to begin in Genesis 17 because we need to pick up some verses we didn't cover last week. And uh, Genesis 17, verse 15 through 21, as we look at, God is dealing with Abraham and Sarah about this issue of their child that's going to be born. 
You made this promise to him, and it's been 24, 25 years at this point. God has told him, you're going to have a children. It's, it's going to be a great nation. It's going to be amazing, but it hasn't happened. 24 years. Have you waited on God for 24 years for anything? It's a really long time. It's hard to wait. I'm impatient. And Abram and Sarah have figured out some ways. They tried to have a baby through another woman, which was not God's plan. They tried to, as one commentator said, they tried to work their way into God's promise rather than let God fulfill his promise by having a child through Hagar. That, that didn't work out. So God's dealing with them. And in Genesis 17, God is talking to Abram, and he says this. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, which her name was about to be changed, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, which I don't know how you tell the difference, quite honestly, but uh, um, Sarah uh, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And you remember last week we talked about the fact that that's what God had just promised Abraham, and now he's saying specifically Sarah, which means princess, is going to be the mother of this child. I'm reaffirming what I've been telling you, and it's really specific. Now, in case you were wondering, I want to give you a child through your wife, the normal person who would bear a child with you. That's just what I'm going to do. It's going to happen. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face. And laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Have you ever laughed? You know, I'm going to, have you ever kind of read a passage of scripture and thought, God said, this is going to happen. Maybe it's one of those, I'll be with you always passages. And you're like, oh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't feel that way. God's promise something to be laughed at. You, you wouldn't admit it. None of us would. But right now, I mean, here is Abraham. He's kind of given in and given up. And he goes, man, I don't you just fall on my face. And you think he's going to say he worships. Nobody laughs. Nobody laughs. Verse 18, and then Abraham thinks, well, it's, it's Ishmael. He says, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael may live forever before you. God said, no. No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which incidentally means laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. And I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Powerful thing. God has established this whole covenant of circumcision, this sign that says this is, means you're a part of my people. Circumcision was a sign. It was a result of Abraham's faith. And so God was going to establish his children, his, these nations, and they would have this mark of circumcision, which meant that you were a part of Abraham's family and had access to Abraham's faith. Remember, circumcision doesn't confer faith on anyone. 
It is a sign of Abraham's faith, and it was a sign that you had an opportunity to know God through Abraham. He's just established this, and now he renames Sarah princess, and he's establishing in no uncertain terms, very clearly, Sarah is going to have a child, and she's 90 years old. It's an incredible thing that God says to Abraham. Verse, skip down to Genesis 18, verse 1. And now, not only has God told Abraham, he's about to tell Sarah the same thing. And incidentally, as we read this account, you kind of wonder, does Abraham and Sarah talk? Are they, are they communicating here? Because God has just told Abraham one thing. But it's so important. Abraham speaks individually to both of them. Genesis 18.1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Marm as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. And he bowed down to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. This is a really weird scene right? Because three men show up, and this is the heat of the day, and uh, Abraham is probably sitting in the shade of his tent, and he is probably taking a bit of a siesta or a bit of a rest. It was common in, those, in that, that part of the, of the world at that time because it's hot, and you worked in the morning and the late evening, but in the heat of the day, it was time to take a break, get out of the sun, and that's pretty much what Abraham is doing. You can kind of see him sitting back maybe in a, in a bit of a recliner or like a hammock, and he's chilled out. Maybe he's dozing a little bit, and suddenly these three men appear. It's a little bit freaky. And he says to them, Oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight. Refers to them as Lord. And as we see this, this story unfold, it becomes obvious that one of the three men is God himself. And this is really strange, right? Because I thought God did. See, we, we never, Abraham has been talking to God over and over throughout Genesis, right? God said this. God said, go. God said, I'm going to bless you. God said, uh, I'm making a covenant with you. We never know how that worked. There's never a God appeared. There's never a how does God speak. And you wonder if maybe he's been speaking through this version of himself all along. A lot of commentators would call this a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, which is probably the best explanation. So it's it's Jesus, it's incarnate, and it's two angels that appear to Abraham. How important is this? This event, this moment. And Abraham recognizes that it's somebody important. He recognizes that it is the Lord. Maybe it's because he hears his voice. Maybe God's been speaking of a disembodied voice. We don't know. But he recognizes him, which is amazing. And he doesn't just, just sit back in his chair and drink some more iced tea. He jumps up. And he says, hey, if I've found favor, bring me refreshed right here. I want to host you. 
I want to welcome you. Now, that part of the world, the, the hospitality is still legendary. I mean, a stranger, you bless a stranger, you take a stranger in. But Abraham is about to go over the top because he recognizes that God himself gets busy. Verse 18, uh, 18 verse 6 says, And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah, and he said, Quick, three says of fine flour, which is about seven quarts, knead it and make, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, and he took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree. Man, how do, how do you respond when someone you love comes to your house? How do you respond? You know, Julie's making cookies if that describes that. Um, she's, we're giving them something to drink. We're showing them places to sit and relax. And if they're going to spend the night, here's, the, here's your room. Here's, here's the bathroom. Here's the towels. I mean, it's, it's, it's this whole uh, flurry of activity to make them feel like, I want you to stay. We want you to have a wonderful time. Or, our daughter's coming in a few weeks, and we're preparing the house for her and her two kids to, to come and be with us because we hope they never leave. Oh, please don't, please don't broadcast that. Actually, um, daughters are special. Sons are very special. Um, you do something. You don't just go, hey, you want to come in? Have a seat. Someone comes that you love, you want them to feel welcome, you're all about it. And Abraham does, and he goes and he gets other people involved. I love that. It's one of the things you have to learn as a follower of Jesus and as a part of a church is one of the goals is to get people the opportunity to do what they love to do. And we have people in our church who love this sort of thing. That's why they're part of the host team. That's why they're part of special events. Um, that's why we have someone cooking dinner for us this Friday night who loves to do that. Don't rob people the opportunity to do what they love to do. And uh, that's what Abraham does. He goes to Sarah, I want you to participate. I'm going to go get this calf. I'm not going to go prepare it. I'm going to go tell this, give this young man the ability to prepare it. He gets to participate, and Sarah gets to participate in blessing the Lord, in doing what they do well, in blessing the Lord. And then Abraham even stands by. If you look at that last part of that verse, um, in verse uh, 8, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. This was kind of common hospitality in that time. Is the, the host, the guests would be seated, and the host might stand almost as, as the head waiter, and he's waiting to see what they might need. He doesn't even sit down until they finish. He's ready to interact. He's standing there waiting to hear from his guests, and to hear what they might need. He shows great respect. And he delights that they are there. Verse 9. And they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to him, to you, about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind them. This was the normal place she would have been. The, the modesty called for the woman to be back a ways, and she was behind Abraham. But she's listening. She heard. 
Um, and you're wondering, did, did Abraham tell her about the encounter he had? Or is this Abraham just waiting for God to tell Sarah what he's already told her? I love those moments, don't you? I mean, honestly, your wife, your husband, maybe you're waiting for God to tell them what you already know he's going to tell them. But maybe you've tried to tell them, but you're just waiting for God to tell him or her. Julie waited a long time for God to tell me to go into ministry. And she never told me to go into ministry, not once. And uh, but when I was called into ministry, I didn't know quite what she would say. But she was overwhelmed with what God had said. That's why marriage is marriage is so precious. If God's called you to be together, he's going to tell you both the same thing. If if you'll listen. If you'll listen. This is our answer. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She was no longer in that zone, ladies, to produce children. She was long since past that zone. You know what I mean by that. Um, she was old. They're advanced in years. And then she says, should I have this pleasure? Says they were, they were, um, they were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased with her. And Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Is it that she's going to have pleasure to have a child? Or I think there's probably not been any intimacy between them if that's how old they are. And um, she says, this is ridiculous. I'm just laughing. But God says, no. It seems impossible for her given her situation. We shouldn't look down on her. We would all be the same way. She laughed. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for God? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Why does Sarah laugh? And this verse 14 that says, is anything too hard for God? Really the better, the translation for that word hard, there's, a, there's an element of magnificence. Is anything too magnificent for God? Is anything too wonderful, too hard and wonderful for God to accomplish? Is, is, there, is there anything too hard for God? And, and I got to tell you, Abraham doesn't know what you know. He hasn't seen this whole scripture. He only knows about a few things that God has done. And really, none of them involve a miraculous childbirth. But I love this statement. Is anything too wonderfully hard for God? Why, why would you doubt what my promise has been? Is anything too hard for God? I love it. Luke one thirty seven. Remember when the angel's talking to Mary and telling her, you're going to bear the Son of God? Verse 37 of chapter 1 of Luke says, the angel says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. And for Mary, who would have very likely known the scriptures, that would have resonated. Oh, I remember the angel said that. God said that to Sarah. Verse 15, 
Maybe this is you. I think this is you at times. But Sarah denied it. She denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. She's not even self-aware enough or at least brave enough to admit her unbelief. She wants to act like she believes, but in reality, God heard her thoughts. This Lord, this this pre-incarnate Christ knows what she's thinking and says, hey, you did say this. This is so important. Sarah's lost whatever faith she had in the supernatural. She could see God work through the natural. But to work through the supernatural is just not something that she's had a lot of experience with. But she did laugh. And God called her out on it. Let me tell you, it's a good thing when God calls you out on your unbelief. Oh, you didn't believe. Let me show you. You didn't believe. You did laugh. But you know what? Sarah's faith, I believe, is established in this moment. The writer of Hebrews describes this in Hebrews 11.11. It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. She's going to have a child within a year, so her faith needs to get underway. And so God shows up to help stimulate her faith, to help expose her lack of faith so that she can do what he's about to do through her. Every time God exposes our lack of faith, it ought to be a great thing to realize, oh, I thought I was faithful. I haven't been believing you could do the miraculous. It gives us the opportunity to go, wait a minute, I need to believe because you are faithful. You are the faithful God. So let me ask you, what about you? Have you been hosting Jesus? Or have you been laughing at his jokes? You see, the Spirit of God is always available for you to host. The question is, are you hosting Jesus? Or do you have you kind of had a hard time believing those promises that God gave? You see, the first thing we have to do to host him is to recognize His presence is real, and it's here. He is walking literally by you every day. He's walking around you constantly. You're a follower of Jesus. You've received the gift of salvation. His spirit is present. It is available. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He said, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And what he's saying is, you have to understand the Spirit is present. It's a question is, are you hosting him? I love Revelation 3.20. Kind of gives a picture of a church that's not hosting him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, him, and he with me. Just a picture. 
God will never leave you, right? He said that in the Great Commission. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. What he's saying is, but sometimes he might be out on the front porch. He, he might be knocking to get in. Everybody, anybody ever come to your house? You weren't too excited to host them? What did you do? You act like you're not home. Hide. I have gone to see church people before when I knocked at the door. I saw them run through the living room and hide. True. You know who you are. No, they're not here. Sorry. That was many, many years ago. It was crazy. You know what I did? I just waited. I just kept knocking. I go, they're going to come eventually. break your heart that he has to leave you who knocks at your front door it's not people that live near you I mean our kids don't even live with us and they don't knock when they come home they just come in because they belong do you want to host him do you want him to come in and eat with you live with you, be with you. You have to recognize, first of all, that he is available. You have to wake up from your siesta and go, he's available. He's here. I can host him. I can have fellowship with him right now. And then you've got to invite him in. Invite him into your thinking. You don't know. I've got to tell you, I'm an engineer by my original education. I can think and I can solve anything in my head. Or I think I can. And I wonder, have I brought God into that thinking? Or is it man thinking? Bring him into your day, into your lifestyle. And invite him to interrupt whatever it is you're doing. And when someone knocks at your door, it's an interruption. Even when someone tells you they're coming, it interrupts your week, doesn't it? You don't have to want the Holy Spirit to interrupt your life. You have to invite him in. There's a few verses that just help me in this area. I think it's important to look at. Um, Psalm 16:11 says, "You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore." Some people I really like to be with. Think of the person you like to be with more than anyone. It's way better to have Jesus with you, to host you. It's fullness of joy. It's not partial joy. Uh, Psalm, um, yeah, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. In other words, blessed is someone who, who actually hosts God instead of rejects him. That's what that is. In verse 2 it says, but his delight is in the law, that means the ways of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your heart will change when you delight in him and his presence. Nehemiah eight ten says, then he said to me, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has anything, who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can recognize He's available. You need to invite him into your house, into your life. 
and your need to prepare to be with him. To prepare to be with him. Abraham gets ready. He gets others involved. He prepares something for him. If you're going to be with him, you need to expect to, you need to prepare to be with him. This is a Sabbath picture, right? If you're going to actually take a day to be with him, you're going to have to plan that day. Rest and Sabbath don't just happen automatically. Matter of fact, they never happen automatically unless you get sick or something and you can't go anywhere. You're going to have to plan to spend time with him, to host him, and you need to be ready to interact. I love how Abraham is standing there. Say, man, I haven't interacted with God much. Have you expected to? Or anytime you're spending time with God, are you actually doing 10 or 15 other things and not even able to hear him? Should he speak to you? Should he show you insight? Should he give you an assignment? Just be ready to interact. And then, watch what a difference it makes in the life of Abraham. Sarah benefits because Abraham hosts God. The people around you are going to benefit because you're hosting the Spirit of God in your life all the time. They're going to get involved because you are doing stuff. You're changing. You're actually becoming not quite so much of a fuddy-duddy who's no fun at all, right? You're actually becoming someone who's filled with the Spirit, who's joyful, who's filled with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and a bunch of other good stuff. And your faith is stimulated because you hosted God. Are you hosting God? Is there anything in the way? Is there something maybe you're getting from some other place that you need to be getting from Jesus? Is there some other thing that you're finding your peace in that you really should get from being with Jesus? Is there maybe a place that you'd like to go? Maybe a vacation you'd like to take? Maybe something you'd like to buy? Maybe an activity you'd like to do? Maybe someone you'd like to be around? All the while, Jesus is knocking on the door. Here's your opportunity to host him. Here's your opportunity to See, God promises his presence. Others need his presence to come through. Make a decision today and host him. And you may say, the reason I don't host him is I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'd have mercy. Or maybe you knew him a long time ago, but really you kind of got your salvation and you kind of figured out life on your own and you've forgotten that he actually still wants to come in off the porch and be with you and you need to start making some time and making a place in your life to spend time with him. I want to encourage you today. Would you host Jesus? See, he's, he's here. He's not some far off place. That's what's so incredible about this era. He is here. Maybe there's some activity in your life. You're like, well, because I am, have this lifestyle, I can't host Jesus. Listen, you need to repent of that lifestyle. 
I don't know if I can stop. That's not the problem. The problem is, will you repent and let him come in and fill you so you'd be less likely to do that? Father, it's amazing to us that you pass by us, Lord, that you pass closest, Lord, that you are closest, that you are present, Lord. And I think sometimes, Lord, we take it for granted that you're near, and we don't even acknowledge that you're present. Oh, let that not happen today. God, we need make yourself so real to each one of your people here. May we feel you knocking on our door, or may we feel your presence in our life so real right now, we could almost reach out and touch you, Lord, because you are there. God, forgive us when we ignore your presence, when we treat you like an unwanted guest. Lord, that happens because we don't really believe you're going to make a difference. Oh, Lord, forgive our unbelief. Forgive the fact that we don't see you as someone who can do something so supernatural, so outside of the, the normal things, Lord, that we forget your greatness. Lord, we so want to be an influence to those around us, Lord. We want to host them. God, for those who don't know you, oh, Lord, we would love, we would love it if you would lead them to the place where we could talk with them and introduce you to them. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?
tonight, 5 o'clock, Anchor Park, Delray Beach. See you tonight. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that you make yourself available. You don't force your way in, but you're available. Now let us not miss you today, but let us enjoy the incredible privilege of hosting you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.